Today's episode is brought to you by Alexandra Park BJJ. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a full contact martial art and combat sport that was developed in Brazil in the 20th century. With roots in Judo and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, has been developed and refined into a unique grappling art with the aim to allow a smaller and weaker individual to beat a bigger and stronger opponent with the application of proper technique. Based in Muswell Hill, North London, Alexandra Park BJJ's classes are designed so that you can develop your fitness levels, balance, coordination and flexibility in a no-pressure environment and to provide the opportunity to start a new sport at a reasonable price. At Alexandra Park BJJ, we aim to be inclusive so that everyone can benefit from this incredible art, not just the athletic or ultra-competitive. To book your free class, head over to alexandraparkbjj.co.uk or email inquiries at alexandraparkbjj.co.uk. Welcome to Audiobookish, an audiobook review and discussion podcast looking at audiobooks both big and small, as well as radio plays, narrative podcasts, anything audiobook-ish. This podcast may contain spoilers, rants, curse words, mispronunciations of names and places, and more. Hello everyone, you're listening to Audiobookish. My name's Fahed Rahman and as always I'm joined by Poppy Knight. Hello! And today we are going to be discussing Once a Monster, a reimagining of the legend of the Minotaur. Written by Robert Dinsdale and narrated by Justin Avoff. London, 1861. Ten-year-old Nell belongs to a crew of mudlarks who work a stretch of the Thames along the Ratcliffe Highway. An orphan since her mother died four years past, leaving Nell with only broken dreams and a pair of satin slippers in her possession. She spends her days dredging up coals, copper and pieces of iron spilled by the river barges, searching for treasures in the mud in order to appease her master, Benjamin Murdstone. But one day Nell discovers a body on the shore. It's not the first corpse she's encountered, but by far the strangest. Nearly seven feet tall, the creature has matted hair covering his legs, and on his head are the suggestions of horns. Nell's fellow mudlarks urge her to steal his boots and rifle his pockets, but as she ventures closer, the figure draws breath, and Nell is forced to make a decision which will change her life forever. So this was when we was kind of discussing which book we wanted to do next. This is one that you uh, picked mm-hmm. out, Poppy. What kind of, how did you hear about it? What, what kind of drew you to it? Yeah, so this was just a case of kind of browsing, looking for something next to listen to. Um, I was intrigued by the cover. It's got a really nice cover. And the whole kind of myth retelling thing intrigued me. And then listening to the preview, I really liked the sound of the narrator. And yeah, uh, Justin Avoth's mm, done yeah. um, a book for us at work as well. But I really liked the sample that I heard. So I thought, yeah, plot sounds interesting. Looks cool. Grabbed me. And the narration sounds great. Let's give it a go. Um, so yeah. Yeah, cool. So you kind of mentioned the narration. I think that might be a good place to start. I love Justin's voice. Yeah. I think he's just got one of those voices. Kind of, oh, tell me, tell me a story, Justin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just, you sort of listen, listen to kind of, um, you know, just want to listen to his voice. He's got a great pace to the way that he yes. reads. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, I think, something we picked up when we was listening to Bob Mortimer's 
autobiography. Sometimes he was like occasionally out of breath. You never really got that with Justin. You seem to be kind of control of the narration all the way through. Um, He's got this, how would you describe his voice? It's kind of like deep and like, how how would you describe his voice? Yeah, it is very deep, isn't it? Kind of, is is resonant the word? Is that sort of the the one? Yeah, it's 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 beautiful, very very rich. Yeah. Yes, very commanding. Yeah, and I'm completely with you about the pacing. And I'd specifically noted there was like, an emotional moment. I think it was talking about Nell's mother or it was like a flashback to a conversation with them or something like that. And there was a real definite pause in the sentences where there was, you know, an important message being put across. And it was kind of like a few words and a pause and a few more words um, that was beautifully done. But it also like, I know for a fact that if I were reading it on the page, my eyes would read the next line far quicker than, you know, the pause waiting for Justin to say it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so in that sense, regardless of like whether, you know, I would do a bit of a performance in my head of making it more dramatic and more pausey and, and, you know, slow it down for himself a little bit. I know my eyes wouldn't stop (laughs) looking to the next line and reading them and stuff like that. And so that just highlighted for me something that was really nice about a listening to this audiobook and then also one of the nice things about listening to an audiobook is having that pace dictated to you by someone else someone who's a real pro at matching the tone and the emotion to the speed that yeah if I'm reading it my eyes can't help just just reading those words um so yeah yeah I'd agree with that the other thing that I quite enjoyed was the way that he captured the characters um, mm. as well, especially I think the work that he does with Murdstone, I think is especially yeah. quite good. Would you say there's like point of view chapters in this? Kind of, yeah. It's not yeah. like from a first person, but you certainly yeah. shift perspective um, between the different characters who, are, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll go on to talk about. Um, and I agree with you. Yeah, his performance of Murdstone is really good. In general, all the voice is really good. Um, one criticism I sort of had at the start was that his Nell didn't really feel like a 10-year-old girl. Yeah. Um, kind of. As you'd expect, it would be difficult with a voice as we've described for him to do a 10-year-old girl convincingly. However, the more you sit with this audiobook, that doesn't matter anymore. You know, like you yeah. might at the beginning think that doesn't sound much like a 10-year-old girl and it take you out of it. Um, but it doesn't take you out of it as you keep going. Like that's just Nell's voice. And the character of Nell sort of goes through the audio into your brain. You know what I mean? Um, without really registering the the mode by which it is, the pitch by yeah. which it is, or anything like that. So, yeah, I'd certainly prefer that to if he'd done a squeaky young girl voice or anything like that that would have, A, sounded naff, and B, ruined the, uh, yeah, the tone of this book in general. Um, so, yeah, while I thought that was criticism at the start, I didn't by the end, and I thought yeah. all his voices were were really good and kind of subtle changes of accent as well. Um, so kind of like a bit more received for Sophia and things like that um, yeah. was all really good and all the character that he gave to the performances just oh fabulous yeah yeah and it's it's a really fine line that he has to walk to to kind of balance them because particularly with this kind of like it's sort of that Oliver Twist type era and yes I was gonna very say yeah easily you're what here governor kind of like <laughs> you know and there were a few occasions that it might have like fell into that but it never kind of like for me it kind of he walked that 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 line really really mm-hmm. well because it is you know the story it is set in london it's set kind of like mostly on like that kind of you know, like a working class environment that kind of cockney area so yes uh, you know his his performances of the character voices were yeah you know, i think he did a good job with yeah. those 
so yes, I think like just for the narration alone, I think it's probably worth um yeah. uh, li- listening to. Yeah, definitely. And like because it's so kind of like melodic um as mm. well. And I think the book is so kind of lyrical, it's so visual, like as in there's so much description, there's so much metaphor that it just feels right to have it told to you orally and certainly with a voice as yeah commanding as you say as as Justin's I really enjoyed that experience um for this one as audio it really suited it well and then yeah also commending the writing I really liked how it was so lyrical and metaphorical and everything that happened there was a metaphor kind of thing you know I could see why some people might not like it but as someone who really likes that the fact that it was jam-packed with all that I absolutely loved yeah I mean it draws on an awful lot of different sources there's you know greek mythology there's obviously yeah. the the class history i think like class plays a really big role in the story kind of class sure, yeah. ambition you know setting it in like uh 1861 kind of where you know london is and that you know culturally and financially at, at that point in time yeah and kind of drawing on like um kind of sort of subtly exploring ideas around faith and memory and mm. forgiveness and kind yeah. of um metamorphosis as well mm-hmm. there's kind of there's a lot kind of packed into a story that also contains a lot of drama yeah lot, you know a fair amount of action as well as you mentioned kind of you know, the, the quality of the writing here is superb mm-hmm. um Cool. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was actually the use of like Greek myths. How how mm-hmm. did you how did you feel that was kind of used? Yeah, I thought story? it was really good. Um, it was a bit of Greek myth that I didn't know very well. The story yeah. of the Minotaur. Um, I did do a little bit of googling of it before I went into this book because I was like, yeah. I don't want to go into it completely not yeah. knowing anything. Um, so yeah. Um, but I thought that was really good. I thought it was really interesting how it drops bits of it. It's not overkill. It's not a retelling. It is a kind of like, well, what it does is it it brings ancient Greek myth. But what if it were? less ancient kind of thing you know it's obviously not bringing it to the present day for the plot of the story um being 1860s but yeah it's putting it in a different context and it's not the same story but it's some uh themes you can take from it uh stuff like that i thought that was really interesting yeah what about you yes it's interesting how like previous books that you've read can influence how you're reading a book Mm. at the moment so like i think a couple of years ago i read Circe by Madeline Miller. Okay, yeah, and that's kind of things. like, uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a really, it's a great, great novel. I highly recommend you, you check it out if you've not read it. But that's kind of a, it's a sort of a feminist reimagining of mm. like the, the the myth of Circe and kind of instead of treating you know the Greek gods as these sort of like noble figures, it kind of actually recasts them as these uh, capricious, monstrous. Uh, mm. and it's actually one of the lines I think that's said in the book. If if someone does have like unlimited power, then not necessarily, you know, what's to stop them from behaving awfully? If mm. you've got that much power, there's nothing to stop you from behaving badly. And that's one of the themes that's kind of explored in Cersei. But there is a section in that book that is about the Minotaur, and mm. that interpretation. I kind of like I brought a little bit of that book into my interpretation mm. about this story. So it's kind of like. I know it's like the Minotaur is kind of like um it's an archetype, but it's also a character mm. as well. So like Minos, who's the you know name of the the, the Minotaur is is a his own character, but it, you can't help but bringing those influences when you are 
reading a story like this. And it's and, and as you mentioned, this is more like I wouldn't say it's a reimagining. It's more like a a what if what if the minus yeah. store had survived and you know was put in this situation? How would that kind of look? So yes, I think that's mm. um yeah, it was interesting kind of like having to kind of put that in like a separate mm. book and not let that influence the way that I was listening to this. Yeah, well. totally. And yeah, sort of one thing I was thinking during it, it was kind of like what it assumes and kind of what the characters in the book know of the myth is kind of just clear cut, black and white, uh, the Minotaur is a monster, yeah. um, full stop. And this book is sort of questioning that. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were on part of the way it questions that and specifically the kind of mechanism by which Minos is more bull versus more human and kind of it's slightly spoilery but I think we're okay to sort of say this here is that a large part of the book is the idea that when he's more monstrous he's more like the animal half of him and when he's more kind of, I guess, virtuous, for want of a better word, he's more human. And that manifests in changes to his physical appearance, um, changes to his voice, kind of completely non-verbal as the Minotaur, and then grunting to a lack of clarity to his voice, to a more clarity kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I was kind of I don't fully know how to feel about this because it's sort of, it's challenging the idea about the Minotaur isn't necessarily a monster. And yet in doing so, it suggests that the only way for him to not be a monster is to shed one half of himself, the part that makes him a Minotaur, you know, so like kind of going back into the past and it sort of talks about how his siblings back in the myth treated him you know how he was treated as a monster when he was kind of split between the two it was it was a a man and beast and kind of like a but he wasn't necessarily bad then it was kind of how they treated him you know very much of kind of Frankenstein's story which I think is is very much a, a connection with this book and yet it seems a slightly different message to say that he sheds the beast half of him in order to be good that sort of suggests that he couldn't be good as the Minotaur. Um, so yeah, I wondered what you thought about that. So I, I, I think it's, it's it's a tricky thing to kind of like to explore it. I think there was one line in the book I wish I'd written it down. It's kind of like he's always going to be like the beast. I think you know the beast is physically manifested the more kind of like violent acts that he he he. And when you, I think one of the ideas it's it's trying to explore. Is like the more awful things you do, the more you lose yourself to awful things. Mm. I think, I mean, especially um, it's interesting how his kind of character arc almost mirrors Murdstone's mm. character arc because essentially they're both looking for the same thing, a, a way out of the situation that they've found themselves in. And, you know, Minos is desperately trying not to fall into his baser urges um yes yeah, so I'm, I'm not too i think you can be two things at the same time there are kind of multitudes within every person so yeah i'm not mm. i'm not too sure where i where i sit on it i think yeah i'm not yeah i'm not too sure the book mm. knows what it's what its message is even <laughs> in that regard. So, yeah. yeah no i sort of get you because yeah it, it kind of feels like it's a bit of a kind of a yeah like we say a kind of frankenstein message of you know 
if you treat someone poorly, they'll become a monster kind of yeah. thing. Um, and uh, also a, a not judging by appearance and people being different. Um, but then the fact that he then assimilates to a human um, sort of by being good sort of contradicts that a little bit. Um, yeah. And especially it's, you know, it's a bit problematic when you consider things about like disfigurement, obviously, and the villainization of that as well. And also problematic with the idea that his, his eyes go blue, the more good he gets. Yeah. Um, I think there's a very, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. It's a bit like, 90, um, it's kind of Disney's like beauty and the beast mm, really wasn't it. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there are definitely some symbolisms in it that, yeah, don't quite fit with the idea of not treating people who are different as monsters, not expecting them to be monsters, and then going, see, now he's not a monster, he fits these visual things, and his voice going clearer and stuff like that as well, especially there was a, there was a part where it compared his voice to that of a deaf girl, who does not feature anywhere else in the book apart from that sentence. And I thought it was really unkind to use that as an insult um, yeah. on his voice, certainly. Um, and then sort of similarly, we have um, the character of Sophia, who I really like, and she is missing her ring finger. And again, there's potentially some problematic things around the way that that's used as so much in literature disfigurements have as a kind of like to make it intriguing and kind of that playing up to the idea of it being a mystery surrounding it and things like that that yeah it's difficult because by nature of talking about a minotaur and how would they fit into a human society you're gonna ask and certainly a human society of of, you know 1800s you're gonna ask questions about um you know how will people treat them the idea of the freak show is going to come into there and yeah i feel like this book I feel like this book wanted to address those things and wanted to be on the right side of history about them, for again, want of a better phrase, but yeah. I'm not sure it necessarily always did or maybe had yeah. a bit further to go to do that in yeah. in the best, most sensitive way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it did, I don't think it bothered me as uh, much it might, as it might have bothered you. I think, yeah, certainly the stuff about, and there's, I, I don't want kind of like be like, bring that racism into it because that racism doesn't really form part of the book but there is this kind of idea of kind of like you know the civilized man looking Mm. a certain way um yeah for sure and stuff like and stuff like that so well yeah that was why um, the blue eyes bit really um yeah 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 um but yeah Mm. the text is a little bit unclear yeah there i think so so but it's yeah i, I think it, it is you know, the story generally is told with like the best intentions oh yes um, exactly yeah, so it's not yeah it's not like i don't think it's no no i agree like, and yeah. i think it raises definitely some interesting questions um another interesting question i wanted your thoughts on that's about this is because like you said um there's kind of like um forgiveness is one of them mm-hmm. and it's sort of interesting in this book as to uh, made complicated by someone living for thousands of years. Um, but, you know, the idea of can people change? Should people be forgiven? How much does someone have to become a new person for their atrocities to not be done by them, 
anymore um yeah. kind of where does the responsibility lie that kind of thing is yeah. certainly not answered in this book but it's definitely it's a question that lingered with me from finishing it yeah i think one of the clear things that is and it's maybe one of my criticisms with the text that there is that one of the themes is like repetition kind of like that the, the idea mm. of you repeating cycles over and over again and there are chapters where it's kind of almost repeated verbatim where you know the, the minotaur is trying to recycle through his memories yes um, there yeah. is some of that but i actually do think there was a repetition in the audio um yeah. was something i was going to bring up um yeah so i was that is that towards the end of the book right yeah so yeah, in cha- yeah. at the end of chapter 22 i believe yeah. it repeats 15 minutes of chapter 18 yeah um, that's so that's not just me going crazy no that's right, not okay, just you right, okay. so no i yeah because yeah, i went and checked it then against the ebook um because i was like i swear i've heard this exact thing before yeah. which as you say it could have been a repetition and there are yeah. certainly parts where yeah he's kind of going back through his memories to um when he was in the labyrinth in yeah. ancient greece versus yeah other adventures he's been on and well adventures other yeah. experiences of his life um and then to the present day but no that one in particular i'm pretty sure it was an error yeah okay all right fine but yeah the the, the idea of um repeating cycles um mm-hmm. and memory i think one of the big parts of the book is it's really hard to change your behavior because it's it's, mm. it's it's so easy to to fall back into being into doing the things and being the person that that you were mm. and i think one of the big themes in 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 the story is it's hard to take you know taking active actions to to be a better person is not it's not easy and mm-hmm. kind of one of the big words in the book is like no i'm mm-hmm. not going to mm-hmm. do that i'm not going to uh, do this I'm not going to kind of behave that that way again and yeah I think that forgiveness is I'm not necessarily sure that it is a theme in the book rather than it is it's more about because forgiveness it's from the person that you you've wronged and yeah. I don't think men, mm. I don't think Minos really is confronted by anyone that he's wrong because you know, yeah most of his actions but it is about you know uh redemption and and yeah. change and as someone who did study like criminal justice at university is like, un- unless you kill everyone that's done like a wrong, wrong act to you, you are going to be releasing people out <laughs> into society. So you, you should try and to equip them to behave better whilst, yeah. whilst they're out there. And so, yeah, I think that's, that is one of the things, but yeah, definitely he's, you know, he's a, he's like a, a beast. He's a, he's a monster. He's been used to do, you know, probably commit um, atrocities, both willingly, unwillingly, and yeah, all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's but yes, you know, him part of the big big part of the story is him trying to find a way out of the maze or the labyrinth, if you will, of that bad mm. behaviour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and totally with you on that kind of yeah, it's about the redemption thing. And and yeah, I couldn't help thinking about well, how does this link to yeah, as you say, kind of criminal justice kind of thing, yeah. um and and stuff. It's it's interesting. Again, don't have an answer for it, but um yeah. but did find it an interesting question that the book sort of raises. Um and then yeah, completely agree with you that that power of the word no is a massive thing in this that I really liked. And how it was kind of like with both what Minos does and with the character Nell as well, they yeah. both use it and it's kind of a mix between saying no to others and, you know, kind of denying others agency over you, um, things like that. But then also that that no to restrain your own instincts 
and to make that choice within yourself um, as well that was a big thing kind of like no is about like defiance and then also restraint and then there was a really really lovely part about the word yes and that also being powerful and that being about kind of like confidence and and opportunity and, and assuredness and and things like that that was a beautiful little parallel to all the stuff that had been going on about no and what it meant to the characters that yeah i thought that was absolutely fabulous yeah i'd agree with that um and talking about the characters we haven't it's, it, the book's got such a great cast yeah um of characters so uh, we've mentioned now We've mentioned uh, Min Minos, uh, so that No lives with basically this kind of like Oliver Twisty type kind of like exactly, gang of like, yeah. uh, miscreants, and um, Benjamin Murdstone is very much in that kind of um, Fagin role, and I yeah. think Benjamin Murdstone might be one of the best villains I've yeah. um, encountered for a very long period of time. Have you got any kind of like notes about uh, Murdstone? Yeah, mostly just kind of in agreement with you is that, yeah, yeah. it was very much uh, set up as a Fagin-type character, you know, partly in the the position that he has with the Mudlarks um, of, you know, he has this band of kind of kids, though I think some of them are older, um, that are scrounging the riverbed um, or the the side of the river of the Thames for treasures that could have washed up for him and he's using their labour to elevate himself and he's a fascinating character and why he's so preoccupied with status and his own kind of like um oh what's the word i'm looking for like um uh, his conscience his like ideas of what are right and wrong um kind of thing is is interesting and yeah a very powerful interesting character that i think yeah it's certainly my intrigue in him is definitely helped by how amazingly justin performed him as well um, and really brought him to life um certainly yeah yeah i mean he's again he's like definitely fascinating character he's i mean i would love to kind of like read a book about just about like benjamin murdstone's yeah. like adventures <laughs> prior to the events in this book mm-hmm. um he's you know kind of you know this idea of a yeah he, he sees himself very much as like a, a self-made man that's dragged mm-hmm. himself up from like kind of abject poverty to um being uh, i think they, they do mention in the book that he was a knight of the realm at one point i think they did call him sir Men- benjamin murdstone mm. and um, he's consequently he's fallen hard hard time and his absolute almost blind driving ambition to get mm. back to the status that he once had and how that drives him to do quite despicable things mm. uh, in in the book but there's you know there is the other half of him where you know he's helping these these poor children he's exploiting them um, and <laughs> yeah. there is there is um one of his former wards has you know become a, a doctor and he's kind of raised him to mm. kind of like that point um as well so there is kind of good stuff that he's done but there is also a lot a lot of bad stuff in there so yeah i think he's a f- fantastic fantastic character it's very uh very compelling to kind of like listen to his exploits mm. and I'll, I'll you know i would i would genuinely love to kind of like read like a book on his like prior adventures i think that'd be mm. kind of fascinating because it's only hinted at kind of like how he gained his stuff and then how he's consequently uh lost it lost it all fell yeah no i'm completely with you it's absolutely fascinating and yeah like you touched on earlier a really interesting parallel with his kind of 
mix of good and bad qualities and the choices that he makes the route he chooses to go down um and that of minus as well and yeah that this is where i feel like it's kind of strong in that intended message we assume of that kind of like anyone can be a monster you yeah. know you don't have to be born of half man and half bull yeah. to to be a monster um that i really liked that kind of like you yeah. might look at him and see a gentleman but actually he's a monster you know kind yeah. of thing that is, is really really interesting yeah. yeah and i think that one of the other things that i found fascinating in, in, that between and we can kind of say that benjamin minos and nil are the main characters in the story is that they've, they've there's this like root core of like stubbornness mm. so all, all three of them kind of like nil is after kind of the, the inciting incident nil is absolutely determined to find a better life for herself and not kind of like, because the, the, the other mudlarkers are kind of sold on this story that Benjamin tells them about the, these eight, is it eight great trades? I think it's seven made? great trades and yes, Minos is his yeah, eighth. Yeah. 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 Seven, seven great trades that kind of like raised him from the river to like, mm. um, to a high status. And they're kind of sold on that like that. They just keep, you know, keep by the river. You're going to find something that's going to be able to, you know, you'll be able to trade this for that. And then hmm. you'll be able to, and like Nell's kind of decided what well, that's not the route that I'm going to take. And there's a, a stubbornness to, to her. And it's kind of the same stubbornness that's in Minos not to be the beast that he, he is. And hmm. the same stubbornness in Benjamin Murdstone is that he's determined not to die in poverty yeah. um, by the river, which I think, it, you know, all three of them, there's like, I've, I can kind of understand that character's motivation. I can kind of understand that character's motivation and I can kind of understand that character's motivation. Their motivations aren't inherently bad or evil. It's just kind of like what that motivation leads them to do is kind of quite, um, quite interesting and different for yeah, all it's fascinating. three characters. And you're making me even more keen to read The Seven Great Trades, the prequel to... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, definitely. And then another character in here is um, Sophia Chrétien. Yeah. I cannot pronounce that. Yeah. Um, don't know my French very well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and she is a... Um, ballerina previously of the the French ballet yeah. and it was a part of this book that I wasn't expecting the um the ballet part yeah. which actually features a huge um part of the story yeah. and um I actually surprisingly really quite enjoyed um I think potentially helped by the fact that I only a couple of months ago listened to a really good audiobook called I Feed Her to the Beast and the Beast is Me by Jameson Shea and narrated by Crystalline Lloyd which was also about the ballet, um, the Parisian ballet. Also, one of the ballets that features heavily is Giselle, which features yeah. heavily in this one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not a topic that I know a lot about. I don't go and watch a lot of ballets or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed that book. Oh, yeah, and also that book about monsters yeah. <laughs> and do you choose to be a monster for success or do you not? There were so many parallels with that book. So it was really interesting listening to this one after that one. And then, yeah, I even though I wasn't expecting the ballet bit, I really did like uh, those scenes and, and that part of the story. Um, yeah, I, as I, well. I, I enjoyed that as well. I found, I found it, I did find it kind of quite interesting about the, the ballet stuff because for, for those of you not aware, like people's, you know, like especially in blokey context, people say, oh, you know, we're not, we're not doing ballet here. Ballet is brutal, dude. It's so, it is, it's yeah. so physically... Uh, and emotionally demanding you know i teach like you know 
as you're probably aware if you listen to the adverts at the start of the podcast <laughs> i teach martial arts and i think probably a lot of ballet dancers are probably especially if you're doing it professionally you're probably a lot tougher than mm. people that do you know do jiu-jitsu recreationally so yeah it's an incredibly <laughs> demanding yeah um thing to do yes and it's it's not especially at this time it's not a career that would have been without its risks because like um mm. Sophia's character art kind of demonstrates that you know when, when you you do have these the beautiful things that there are going to be dangerous people that are attracted mm-hmm. to it and that's something that you need to be aware of as well so you kind of you are as a poor, you know maybe a poor girl jumping out of one set of dangers into like another dangerous scenario as kind of Sophia like demonstrates with um you know with what with with her story mm-hmm. uh, as well so yes yeah, and is the other thing that I really enjoyed about the ballet bits because it didn't really it did come up in certain other bits was that, you know, this this idea of class that I can think runs mm. all the way through the book, kind of like most of the people at the ballet and there's a particular character looks down at now and thinks she's just like um, a mm. gutter snipe, a thief. She's low class. She's no good. She'll never make any good of herself. She's just there to thieve and do all that sort of thing. So it's, it is really about, um, I found that interesting how like class played kind of a part in that part of the story because I think that's something that Benjamin Murdstone is obsessed with as well as this idea of class and being raising his station and you know Nell's also probably obsessed with that a little bit um mm. as well yeah but kind of less about the station and more about kind of the security yeah. part but also the kind of the following the dream you know she genuinely loves to dance yeah. um and it was all kind of on this this experience she'd had with her mum, he was a seamstress and she'd gone to a ballet and the ballerinas had kind of fawned over her and told her she was a natural. Um, and I'll be honest, there was a bit of me that was that was worried about how she was pinning so much on these dancers telling her what, five-year-old, less than that girl, that she was a natural yeah. dancer, that that doesn't necessarily mean she is. They could just be nice girls enjoying yeah. the the company of this kid and teaching her to dance kind of thing so i i was worried a little bit about that but i do like that yeah in general it is a very nice story of that kind of you know go for it you know see if you have got that talent and if you have go for it and it was interesting as well in those ballet bits where it's talking about sophia's other students and kind of like this one's got the talent but she's not got the passion and this one's got the talent but she's in it for the wrong things she's in it to impress people rather than because she loves the dance and you know that was a nice section as to why nell really was a good fit um yeah so yeah yeah there was another bit of the story that i really liked um i really liked when the story became inception um yeah. and Minos went inside his dreams oh, yeah. and then but what is that Minotaur dreaming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> went inside yeah. his dreams. Um it's not as cheesy as I'm making it out to be. Um it was genuinely really well done and I found that really interesting. And then yeah, sort of just how big a theme memory was. I mean you already mentioned it, but yeah, I love books that talk about memory and found that really um fascinating as well. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it's not just it's that Nell's memories. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, basically, all the characters that you know, memories of things that they've far forgotten, forgotten, and how that kind of shapes the way that they they're behaving at the moment. I think's kind of quite a big thing. Yeah, there's kind of Nell's Nell's like memories of her mother as well being a big yeah. thing. So she'd said to Minos about her mother, but not really told him everything. Someone's talking to Minos about Nell's mother leaving her. And then there was a, a quote that I really loved. 
very sad, but because it was very powerful, that was um, Nell's mother didn't leave her. Nell couldn't follow where she went. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah. oh, God. The, the, yeah. yeah. The, the grief in that was just, yeah. was just yeah, beautiful. And there's a, another one near the end about um, grief is the echo love leaves in its wake. And yeah, oh, both of those quotes were, were really powerful. Yeah. Um, cool. So this is, this is kind of like a wintry novel. So I think this mm. is like, yeah, a, a very decent, this might not have been a bad shout to kind of do this as our Christmas special. Well, yeah, you know, I didn't realize. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, then it was, yeah, as it was, I was listening, it was like, it's, it's Christmas Eve. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, it's not so Christmassy that you have to listen to it um, yeah. around Christmas, but if you're listening to it in the winter months, it, yeah. it, it suits, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It suits kind of like, it's very like cold, like cold mm. London plays a really big part in the story. We haven't really even kind of got into discussions about, you know, representations around like Poseidon and the river waters and stuff like that. But I'm just kind of a, a bit, a bit wary um, of the time. Is there anything else that kind of stood out to you? There was another bit that just you reminded me of then, because I do really like in this how it has some kind of subtle fourth wall breaks um, yeah. in the sense that it kind of talks directly to you as the one experiencing the story. Um yeah. It's interesting because they were obviously written for the physical book, right? Yeah. You have kind of like, as you're sitting by the fire with this book and stay with Nell a few more pages and things like that, which poses a very interesting question for how do you change those to suit someone who's listening? And more importantly, because I think there are definitely ways you can change those for someone listening, right? But with it being very much kind of transporting you back to the... 1860s would changing them to suit the listener be at the detriment of that setting would it feel too modern to talk about it in that sort of way or would you have to make more of a shift to do that and it would have to be more you get rid of the book part in general and you're just talking straight from narrator to listener of um but sit with me a while and you make it more personal in that way kind of thing um, would be interesting so yeah what they chose to do in this one is they didn't change it um and i am a bit disappointed about that because it did take me out of it a little it did feel like it's not been properly changed for the listener but i appreciate some of them were certainly difficult examples um to do see that's not something i picked up on at all fair yeah 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 Yeah. um and i kind of yeah i I still liked that it was speaking to me even though it felt a little bit like it wasn't actually to me and then kind of yeah the the tying it into your real life bit i kind of uh kind of liked a little bit as well um so Yeah. yeah and then kind of um little things as well as yes as i say i think there's 15 minutes of the book that is a repeat um there were also some other little audio things of kind of like i think certainly at the start it was a bit clicky and there were definitely Mm. some points where i felt like edits hadn't quite been made so as in like there was a a very long pause that needed cutting maybe there could have been more pause with some of those change of perspectives oh and yeah there was another one also of kind of like there was a definite point you could tell this was a new day of recording maybe the mic wasn't in the same place it definitely shifted tone um kind of thing and it made his character voices sound very different so some things like that were a bit of a shame that they drew back on my experience but regardless overall i still think the audio was fabulous because the narrator was so fabulous yeah. um and i definitely recommend it in audio yeah 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 i'd wholeheartedly agree i think it's a brilliant brilliant a story that's brilliantly narrated and mm-hmm. yeah i just um I w- yeah it's kind of it's the great thing about books and it's the bad thing about books is that there are so many 
brilliant books out there to be discovered and we <laughs> probably won't touch in half of them no well, just like a very small percentage of them because that's it's it's hard to discover books like this i, I hadn't come across this um mm. at all before so yeah I, I think it's a wholehearted recommendation for me and it's probably it's a great one to be listening to now as it's kind of freezing january whether <laughs> yeah. um, as we're recording this so yeah so um uh, any closing comments poppy uh, I don't think so. No, no. Um, yeah, agree with you. Would recommend it. And keen to know what you guys think about, yeah, the kind of questions we were discussing and stuff like that. If you have a listen and want to get in touch with us, um, please do. We'd love to talk yeah. about it more. Yeah, cool. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us by email at uh, audiobookishpod at gmail.com. We can be found on social media. Uh, our handles on all platforms will be audiobookishpod please continue to support the podcast by leaving a rating or review or you can leave a, a tip in the chip jar we've also got a patreon and other crowdfunding things that are going on uh thank you very much we'll be back in a couple of weeks time say bye poppy bye bye